Most of you probably have one of these, a smartphone. For those of you who don't, well, you're fortunate in a lot of ways. For those of you who have them, it's a wonderful device, isn't it? I mean, you can do so many things with it. I can check email, I can read the Bible, I can uh, get the news, I can watch dumb TikTok videos, I can check social media feeds, I can message family and friends, I use GPS to get to my destination, check the weather, play games, all kinds of things I can do with a smartphone. Oh, and it apparently still does this arcane ancient thing called making phone calls. Yeah. That back in days of yore, you would actually pick up the phone and dial a number and talk to someone at the other end. But this device and devices like it are a reason we're more distracted than ever before. Now, those of you who have them, think about it for a second. How many of you look at the phone last thing before going to bed? or the first thing in the morning. How many of you feel an urge to check notifications immediately when you hear them? You gotta respond to that text right now. If you're waiting in line, if you're at the grocery store or something, you're waiting for your turn in line, how many of you reach for that phone almost instinctively without thinking about it to you know, kill a little bit of time before you check out? And how many of you have sat down with your phone or other device to to, to read the news or maybe do a crossword and before you know it, an hour has passed. Lately I've been tracking my screen time on the phone and sometimes this is a fun activity to do with uh, confirmation kids. You know, ask them how many hours have they, if they look at their little, uh, they have, there's usually a little screen hygiene, digital hygiene app and it, it calculates your screen time. How many hours are you spending a day? Three, four, five, six hours a day is not uncommon. Not uncommon at all. And I won't give you my number, but I will say it's high enough that I've thought, what else could I be doing with that time? Could probably read War and Peace several times with that time that I've wasted on the phone. The phone, the thing is, the phone, the tablet, the laptop computer is so easy to pick up, and it's so difficult to put down. It's too easy to be distracted by the glow of a soft blue screen. And while the Galatians didn't have soft blue screens, see the segue here, <laughs> they had something to distract them. They had something else that was very distracting. They had a spiritual self-improvement program. Kind of like, oh, the weight loss programs. Or another thing that encourages you to live your best life now. That's what they had. Remember the situation from last week. Remember what's going on in Galatia. Paul planted churches there, very Gentile-heavy region, preaching a gospel of freedom in Christ crucified and risen. Despite an agreement between Paul and representatives of the Jerusalem church that Paul should evangelize among Gentiles, while their missionary efforts would be focused toward Jews, things go sideways pretty quickly. Some, perhaps well-meaning members of the Jerusalem church, travel to Galatia, 
to convince these Christ-following Gentiles that they had to observe Torah as well. They couldn't just have transformative faith in Christ. They had to add something else on top of that. So when Paul got word of that, he was furious. The words burn off the page. He dictated this letter, defending his apostleship and chastising the Galatians for their desertion of the gospel that he once, that he preached for another one based on following the rules. In other words, they got distracted. To be clear, Paul never says that the law is bad. He is still firmly planted in his Jewish identity. And he never counsels observant Jews to break Torah observance. He does, however, resent the imposition of such observances on Gentiles who have turned to Christ. Since Christ knocked Paul flat on Damascus Road, he understands Torah differently. Before, he, he understood it in this disordered way of seeing it as a means to, for self-advancement. For his own ambition. He understands it now as a disciplinary, or perhaps a better translation would be a guardian. Thus, the, the, the law functioned like a good parent, setting boundaries, keeping order, and punishing disobedience. By, but doing the law's works never saved anyone. You have to do them. You have to do those kind. They had to do those kinds of works, but they're by definition dead and could not save. Little wonder Paul is so angry. This isn't a matter of abstractions. This is a matter of life and death for the community of Christ. In what will the Galatians put their trust? In Christ crucified and risen for the life of the world? Or in a disordered understanding of God's law is something that needs to be observed in addition to transformative faith in Christ. Will they trust God's grace in Christ or in the distraction of a spiritual self-improvement program? Maybe Paul's calling them foolish strikes us as harsh. But really it's not that much different than what a parent might think or even say about a child who ran into the street to get a ball. Ever have that experience, parents? Well, I know what I did when I was a kid, and my backside hurt after that. Or when my seminary advisor said I was a little thick after I did something dumb. True story. <laughs> True story. The distraction posed by the false teachers who've come to the Galatian community has the potential to derail the whole thing. It's making membership dependent on externals rather than transformation of the heart. What do we get distracted by at Shalom? Perhaps we get distracted by externals too. You know, I can think of all kinds of things that we pour all kinds of energy and time into and we debate things, and, and does it really get us closer to the center of our mission? You know, worship style, staffing, congregation size, giving, technology. It's not like all these things don't need to be attended to, because they do need to be attended to. But it's too easy 
for these things to become their own end, to become a distraction from what God has formed our congregation to be. And that is a congregation centered on the transformative word of God, Jesus Christ, in whom we all are one. I might sound like a broken record at this point. You might think, Pastor, didn't you preach this sermon last week? And yeah, I did, kind of. But it's worth repeating. We were not formed to be a competitor in the American religious marketplace. We were not formed to measure ourselves by what other congregations do. And we were certainly not formed to feel bad about ourselves by what we are not. We were formed to be a community of faith around the peace, wholeness, and freedom, and oneness we find in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that is what we have in Christ. Peace, wholeness, freedom. Because in Christ, while externals can be important, they are not ultimately important. What is important is what Christ has done in us to make us one. Not in what we can do or what we can't do. Paul will tell the Galatians later, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So let's stand firm in our identity, in our oneness in Christ. Let's refuse to be subjugated by what we think the marketplace demands or what we might think an ideal congregation ought to look like. And when we do get distracted, because we do, God help us to return to the essentials of our identity. Christ crucified and risen for the life of the world. Let us pray. Lord Christ, it is in you we find true peace. It is in you we find true health and wholeness. Keep us from the lie that says our worth is in what we can do, not in what you have done for us. Keep us centered in that truth when distractions and anxieties come. 